Last week we started the series Resolved and we are looking at the things we can learn from the prophet Daniel in the book of Daniel. And today we're looking at the topic I am resolved. Uh, the one thing that I want to make sure that we don't, sorry, today's topic is I am ready. The whole series I am resolved. Uh, the one thing I don't want to have happen, and so I'm going to just say it right up front, I don't want people to hear the wrong thing from me. The last thing I want you to hear is as if I was the parent, you're the teenager, just about to go out from this place and do your thing, and I say, make good choices. It does, the whole thing is about good choices, will bring about a better life, but it's not as simplistic as me just simply telling you, make good choices. There is a battle readiness mentality that has to be developed, and we are not ready if we're not battle ready. And so we're looking at some very important things that we learn from the individuals in the book of Daniel, uh, namely Daniel himself, and then those around him that learn from him this, this power of being resolved, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we're going to look, look at them today as well. We're doing a challenging thing, we're going to just skim through the chapter one, which is a a bit of review together, and then we're going to go into chapter two and into chapter three, and I was not able to fit it in the time slot that we had in the first hour. I'm hoping I can fit it into that time slot in this hour. Here's where we're going. This is the whole series. On the screen, I am resolved. I am ready, which is today. I am consistent. I am devoted. I am kind. I am faithful. I wish. You know, all of these things, I have areas that I need to become battle ready. I need these areas in my life, and that's what we're working on to become battle ready. How to get ready. We're going to look at chapter one, two, and three by looking at round one, round two, round three, as if this was an epic battle, and it is. And it's not only an epic battle for those who are in exile in Babylon, for Daniel and his friends and the nation that's in exile there, it's an epic battle for us because guess what? We are in exile in Babylon as well. You say, what? Babylon doesn't even exist. According to the New Testament, every world system with a culture and values that are opposed to God's will is Babylon. And so just as the New Testament writers will write that we are citizens of heaven and we're living here in Babylon, we're living in the same scenario that Daniel and his friends were living in with battle after battle. And here's right where the battle lives. We come to a crossroads and choices are offered. Are we going to go with the direction that the world says is the value that I should go with? Or do I go with what God says is his will and his desire and his value? And it's too late to decide if you're already tempted at that crossroads. You're not battle ready. If you think you have the strength to decide right then and there, you have to decide ahead of time how to get battle ready. And so we're going to learn this as we jump into round one, Daniel chapter one, uh, by way of review, here's the first blank for you, pre-decide to be faithful, pre-decide to be faithful. We learned that from chapter one last week. 
that Daniel resolved not to defile himself with Babylon's culture. And we have to pre-decide, be resolved ourselves not to defile ourselves with the cultural values that Babylon presents. Now, you may not be convinced that we live in Babylon. You may not be convinced that those values are all that bad. That's why you're thinking about doing this or doing that. You need to pre-decide which direction do you want to end up. And if you pre-decide, I want to be faithful to the Lord, then what's really interesting is you become resolved with his help. It's not make good choices as if this is self-help. He now is faithful to you as you have decided, pre-decided to be faithful to him. And we see this at play in chapter one. When your values are clear, your decisions are easier. They pre-decided to be faithful. The next set of blanks there, or the next blank is pre-solve your pressure points. We looked at this last week with what does it mean to be resolved? Resolve means to be determined. You make the decision in advance to be clear and you're going to do this thing. But the word is really interesting because the key to the word resolved is the word built into it, solve, re-solved. Now, it sounds like what resolved is, is you have to resolve, 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 resolve as you go. But that's precisely the opposite of what takes place when you're resolved and you predecide in advance. And, and what it is is pre-solved. So when you predecide to be faithful to God, you now, with that decision, you're going to do battle to become battle ready so that when it's game time and the temptation is right there before you, you are already battle ready to be able to choose the right decision. It is absolutely absurd to think that you'll be battle ready when you're tempted right at that moment if you haven't done any battle training in advance. It's as absurd as an Olympian deciding, oh, I'll be able to win gold when the time comes. I don't need to practice. I don't need to train. I don't need to rehearse. I don't need to work at this. When the time comes, I have what it takes. No Olympian ever won gold there. And no Christian is able to withstand temptation if he doesn't do some battle preparedness and readiness to be able to withstand the temptation when you're at that point. So pre-solve your pressure points. Last week we said, here's an exercise. And if you're here last week, I wonder if you actually did this training exercise. Here's the exercise. When faced with blank, this situation, I have pre-decided to take this action. So you know which area you're tempted in. You know which area you're tempted to cross the line and it doesn't go well for you. How do you know it doesn't go well for you? Well, things start going south and it doesn't go well, you know. Pain is a good educator and difficulty in relationships, good educator. You really need to get this thing solved. Well, how are you going to face it next time when faced with this blank, this temptation to cross that line? I'm going to predecide to do this action. This is pre-solving and you're resolving and becoming resolved because you've pre-solved your pressure points. That's all by way of review. We're going to now jump into chapter two, new material, um, which is round two in the battle. Round two in the battle. Now, where round one 
gave strength of resolve to Daniel. Round two gives strength of resolve to Daniel for a lifetime. Do you see the difference? We can be temporarily strong, temporarily feel resolved, and able to handle it for a time, but then there are certain battles that are so significant that now it gives you a marker that you'll never forget that you're now super resolved and able to carry on through round two and round three. And here's the point. When we get through round two, if we get through round two successfully, you have what it takes to get through round three. If you don't get through round two successfully, you will never make it through round three. I want you to think of this as a literal battle with different rounds. Round three is so intense, so hot, and I'm using that on purpose. We're going to get there in a moment. That who would be able to do that? We're going to see that it happens because Daniel's friends were able to do round one and round two effectively. So here we go. Pay attention as we take a look at this, how God is involved. It's not just the people trying to be resolved, okay? Nebuchadnezzar has a bad dream. Nebuchadnezzar is the ruler of the world. He is the most powerful man in the world at the time, and he has a bad dream. He's convinced this bad dream has meaning, and it has meaning that needs to be interpreted, so he calls all his counsel. He's a pagan king. In other words, he's a polygamist who believes in all these gods and all these gods kind of let him do pretty much what he wants based on which god he goes to and they have astrologers and sorcerers and um, soothsayers, all these different wise men on his council to help him uh, navigate the future in these pagan ways. By the way, how many of you realize that paganism is resurging strong in America today? It's powerful out there, okay? Paganism is looking to alternative sources of power, which work to a degree because these demons are real, and so a lot of people are experiencing kind of being sucked into this stuff, almost seduced into the power of it because it's like real spirituality. Hello, it's counterfeit in that it's evil and it's sucking you in, be careful. And he's being, uh, using this kind of power source to rule the world and so he's looking to these guys. But here's the thing, he says, all right, I know what you guys are like. I know how you guys operate. Here's what I want you to do. Tell me my dream and then interpret it for me. And they say, what? No. You tell us your dream, and then we'll interpret it for you. He says, no, I've firmly made up my mind. I'm not going to do it that way, because I know you're just going to do your thing and manipulate me with your interpretation. I'm not going to trust any of that unless you seek your powers, and you then, through those powers, you tell me my dream, then I'll know I can trust you. And they say, king, king. We, we can't do that. No king has ever asked that. That's impossible. The, the, no human being can do that. Only the gods know what you dream, and only the gods could do that, and our gods don't walk among us. Ah, oh, I thought that's kind of interesting. But the king gets really, really angry. Unless you do this, you're just toying for time. Unless you do this, I'm going to rip you limb from limb and destroy your family and level your houses. All of you will be put to death. And they keep trying to jockeying. None. None of this. He just goes furious on them. Moral of the story, don't get the ruler of the world mad. Okay? 
he had a grumpy day already with a bad dream. You're making it worse here. And he, he is really, really angry. Daniel 2, 12 through 13. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death and the men were sent to look for, uh-oh, Daniel and his friends to put them to death. They weren't even there. The king is so mad, he's going to wipe out all his counselors. Daniel and his friends had been elevated to the point of being wise men and counsel and uh, privy to all kinds of political stuff, and they're going to be killed. King is starting over. So Arioch, who is the captain of the king's guard, has this awful duty of executing people he actually likes. He likes Daniel. You can tell by the way he interchanges with him. It's almost embarrassed, Daniel. The king has given me an order. I've got to bring you in and have you and your friends executed. And Daniel says, "Um, why is the king so mad? What has happened here? And Arioch says, well, and he goes into the story I just explained to you. And then Daniel says, don't don't kill anybody yet. Give me a moment. And then Daniel goes and sees the king. And he very... Uh, tactfully and humbly asks the king for time, perhaps as he prays, his God will give him the ability to tell him his dream and interpret the dream. The best I could tell from reading, it looks to me like the king says, okay, but you only have one day. And then so he goes and immediately does, goes into super prayer mode, but he does something else too, and here's where you have the blanks to fill in. Ask others to pray. Ask others to pray. When you hit a crisis point, don't do it alone. Does that sound familiar? Don't do life alone. Recruit people to pray with you about this. Don't do life alone. Here's what we read, Daniel 2, 17 through 18. Then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Uh, That's their Jewish names. Uh, They uh, were given Babylonian names as they are now Babylonian political officials. Their names are Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Let's say that together. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. How many think you can remember that tomorrow? How many of you don't think you can remember that tomorrow? All right, I'm going to help you. All right, here's how you remember it. As parents, I played this little game with my kids. I learned it from some other preacher. And uh, we took the kids and we were getting them ready for bed. And we took the kids and we go, okay, ready for bed. Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. And they go, bounce, bounce, bounce. And it's, they go, yeah, 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 do it again, do it again. Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Boom, 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 again, again, again. How many of you are going to remember that tomorrow? Shadrach, Meshach, and to bed we go. Okay, know this. His name is not Tabedwigo. It's Abednego. Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anyway. (laughs) Ask others to pray. Note, prayer is not one-sided. Note, becoming strengthened and resolved is not one-sided. Here's what we read next. Well, let's fill in the blank first. Experience God for yourself. Experience God for yourself. 
The next verse, Daniel 2.19 reads, During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And then what's really, really fun is that the book of Daniel becomes a musical. I mean, we don't know the tune. But in chapter 2, all of a sudden, Daniel breaks out into song. And the way you know that is that if you look at your text, literally, most English texts, it's regular paragraph formatting, and then it shifts into when it's poetic, it shifts into this different formatting from verses 19 through 23. And we hear just this, these lofty praises of Daniel in this poetry form, in this song form that eventually was written and held and carried down through the generations for Jews to sing about God's faithfulness and his goodness and how he knows the future and he reveals mysteries and all the power of God. And this amazing detail, Daniel's about to face the king. He had the 24-hour limit. If he isn't able to say the right dream and then interpret it, he's going to be executed along with his friends and all the wise men. And he is absolutely convinced God came through. God knows the future. God gave Nebuchadnezzar the dream. God is interpreting the future for Nebuchadnezzar and for us too. He's so excited and he goes and interprets the dream and tells the dream to um, Nebuchadnezzar. And then Nebuchadnezzar, rather than kill Daniel, he elevates Daniel to become part of the royal court. He moves out of his house and is now living in the palace to be part of the royal court, which answers the question that will inevitably come up in round three when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stand their line and do not compromise. The first question that comes to mind is, where's Daniel? He's, he's not there. Well, last verse in chapter two explains he's at the palace. This test was for all the governors and prefects and satraps and all the other Babylonian names for the polit political big people. And they had to do something. We're not there yet. So Daniel's love, joy, and peace soared. Love, joy, and peace. Are you experiencing that right now? It's God's gift to experience his love, his joy, and his peace. It is impossible to experience this secondhand. You need to experience God's love, God's joy, God's peace. If you're not experiencing it, guess what? You need to back up to round one. You need to back up to round one and go through round one, which says, pre-decide to be faithful to God. Then he'll show his faithfulness to you. And as he shows his faithfulness to you, you're going to just, your heart's going to begin to open up to him as you've decided to follow him and be faithful to him. He's showing you his faithfulness to you and you're going to experience in him and in your experience of him, your resolve is going to a whole new level. It's an experiential level. It's not just a head level. It's not just an academic level. Now you're, you just will never forget this because it's real. And you know it's real, how God heard your prayer and how he has done this for you. And you've got to go there to handle the crisis of round three. We turn the page to Daniel chapter three in round three. Unfortunately, the big dream had to do with kingdoms. 
and a big idol, and the head was gold, and the chest and torso were silver, and the uh, lower parts were bronze, and then iron mixed with clay on the bottom parts, and all these future kingdoms were coming, and Daniel interpreted it all, and he says, you, king, are the head of gold, and your kingdom is bigger and better than the rest that are coming next. However, there's going to be this stone that is cut out, not with human hands, it's going to crush all the Babylons, and this eternal kingdom, not made with human hands, will last forever. God, who knows the mystery of the future, revealed it all. Okay? So there's this incredible result. Unfortunately, the king said, I'm the head of gold. This is so great. This is so awesome. And he makes a whole big 100-foot idol of gold. And then the crisis is he tells all the political officials that they have to gather, and when they hear the music, they have to bow and worship the God of Babylon. Unfortunately, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're Jewish. The top law is you will not bow to any other God or any idol. There is no idol. There's only true God who is God. And the edict was if you bow, you are good. If you don't bow, We've got this furnace that we're going to throw you in that's going to absolutely burn you to a crisp. And then the music plays, and everybody drops and bows except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's round three. Had they not experienced the resolve of chapter one with Daniel and how that went well for them, had they not seen and been a part of the prayers and the answers to prayer in chapter two, they would have never succeeded in chapter three. Let's take a look at verse 15. Oh, by the way, the astrologers. Some of the people that would have lost their life had Daniel not interpreted the dream, Daniel saved their life. These astrologers are now jealous that Jews, a Jewish exile, is ruling over them. And so they, they tattletale on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the king is furious. And they said, these Jews refuse to bow. These Jews just dishonor you. And... Then we read in verse 15. If you are ready to fall down, this is now the confrontation to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. If you are ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. He's already said those warnings before. Why is he giving them a second chance? It's like, oh, crud. I caught these very guys, the guys that I love. Oh, I didn't even think about Judaism. Ah, I'm giving you a chance now. This is your chance. Bow this time. Then he kind of gets hard and he says, then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Picture him. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? Did you see that? He's challenging God because he's the king of the world. And I have power to do this thing. There's nobody can save you from this power. So Bow. Here's how they respond. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him. Verse 16. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods. 
or worship the image of gold you have set up. <laughs> round one, round two, round three, they're survivors if you read the rest of the story, which I'm not going to tell you today. If you're not sure of how awesome God comes through them, finish the whole chapter, chapter three. But I'm only going to go as far as how is it that they're able to make this kind of resolved decision. Here's the three things you need to be able to say when you're at this line in the sand. Number one, I know my God is able to deliver me. Number two, I believe that my God will deliver me. And the third one is the most important of all that many Christians all over many places don't get, and they get this wrong, but it's biblical faith. It was the kind of faith that Jesus had in Gethsemane. They're able to say, with submission, even if God does not deliver us the way we hope he does, we refuse to compromise and bow to your God. Just like Job, even if our God slays me, I will worship him. That kind of trust only comes when you experientially know God has your back. He has your good in mind and maybe the good of others around you in mind that this world and this life is not the end, that he will bring you through to the ultimate victory, and maybe your life is going to affect those around you. I know he's able to deliver me. I know he will deliver me, but I humbly submit to you that even if he doesn't deliver me the way I want him to deliver me, I will continue to love and serve him. That's being resolved. How did they get there? Well, fill in the blank. They magnify the scenarios. They magnify the scenarios. So let me, let me illustrate this this way. They magnify the best case scenario. Best case scenario, God comes through for them and he delivers them. Woohoo! I won't tell you how the chapter ends. The other thing they magnify is worst case scenario. Well, even if you kill me, they magnify that end, and they see it through. But let me just tell you, that, my friends, is not the worst-case scenario. Here's the worst-case scenario that you need to magnify, and this is not even in their thinking. The worst-case scenario, but they probably did. What if we don't bow? After all, we not only lose our lives, but it's our jobs. They're forcing us to bow, and we can't do our jobs to save the rest of the Jews in our jobs as political leaders if we... Do you hear the excuses? Do you hear the compromises? It's my work. I have to. Or I won't bow in my heart. I will only bow with my body. Or it's no big deal. Everybody else has to do it too. There's all kinds of excuses available, and we, we are constantly making excuses we constantly rationalize when we veer off the path. You know what rationalizing is? It's when you hold a rational lie. It makes sense to you, and you do the wrong thing. So magnify that worst-case scenario. Just lift your eyes up from the current situation and look down the road of where you're going to go. 
look down the road far enough, far enough and you see that it destroys my reputation, it destroys my ministry, it destroys my family, it destroys my relationship with my kids, depending on what unfaithfulness you're committing. It destroys where I'm going. And I could go even south from there. If you don't rehearse the worst case scenario while you're away from the temptation, I can guarantee while you're in the temptation, you won't be thinking about the worst case scenario. You'll be thinking about the best case scenario. If I do this temptation, it'll feel good. It'll be good. I'll be safe. It'll be wonderful. And you never even go there. Rehearse before you're tempted and be able to state it off. It will ruin my relationship with my wife. My kids will know. Everybody will know. It will destroy me. If you think you're ever going to get away with it, it's not going to happen. Numbers 32, 23 says, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. Let me say that again. Numbers 32, 23, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. There's no such thing as a hidden sin that's always hidden forever. Judgment Day will reveal it. If it's not revealed here in this life, which is awful, it's revealed in Judgment Day on the big screen for all to see. That's why it's really important. Confess here. Confess now. So it's covered. Covered by the blood of Jesus. Rehearse the worst case scenario. At Verde Valley Christian Church, we're all about helping people take steps from wherever they are to where God wants them to be. I'm describing that to you. One of the things that we're trying to help you with right here and right now is we're trying to help you take not steps from wherever you are to where God doesn't want you to be. Right? There are steps that all of us can take where God doesn't want us to be and we've got to learn from these steps how to be battle ready and say no and draw the line. How do you put distance between you and temptation? You have to draw the line. That's the next set of blanks. Draw the line. Now, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they saw the line clearly right away. They refused to bow. I'm going to tell you a trick, a secret, and I, I, if I had the time, I'd show you in Bible. It's really biblical. God sets solid lines that are boundaries that you should never cross. But if you wait to get to the solid line, you're in trouble. He told us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Here's how we act sometimes. We, our prayers, maybe we don't really pray this. We act as if we pray this. Lead me as close to the temptation as we possibly can get so I can enjoy everything up to the edge and then say no. It won't happen that way. The best way to stay back from the line is to create a dotted line. There's a bold, solid line that God says is the out-of-bounds line. Create a dotted line that's further back from that temptation that if you won't cross there, you won't even be tempted. This is the out-of-bounds line for me. I don't want to be tempted. I'm going to create distance from the temptation. See? So there are certain things that are sin for me, and I have a lot of dotted lines that are very strict for me because I've seen too many people in ministry fall horribly, and you have too. And I would prefer to have the people that are closest to me love me and see a faithful life and create a legacy than destroy everything by going past that line. So create the dotted line. Why be tempted when you can eliminate the temptation? 
There are so many areas that I used to be tempted, I'm not tempted anymore at all because I have the dotted line that I don't cross. I have accountability that I don't cross the dotted line. And that is great to not be tempted. Don't think that I'm never tempted. I haven't created all the dotted lines. I've got some work to do. I've got some practice to practice and get to the place where I can be battle ready. Are you battle ready? Pre-decide to be faithful. Pre-solve your pressure points. Ask others to pray. Experience God for yourself. Magnify the scenarios. Draw the line. Train and be strict with yourself for God's sake and for yours. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for the lessons we learned from Daniel that we can catch from him, that perhaps others can catch from us. Lord, we want to decide today to be faithful. We ask for your faithfulness to help us become stronger. In Jesus' name, amen. So recruit others to pray. If you're in a battle right now and you want to be strengthened, there's a prayer team to the left of the stage. Go tell them about what you'd like prayer for. God bless you. See you next week.